and welcome to Sound Insights Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kulzig, joined uh, once again by Mike Waldman and Simon Howell. Howdy. So it's it's finale time. Valor Margulis Valar is the name of the episode. I don't know how to say it. It's not Valor, Mar- Valor Margulis. It's Morgulis. not very difficult. Margulis? I apologize. It's, it's my uh, Westerosi accent. It's pretty terrible. Ah, good. Um, so last week, unfortunately, you weren't able to join us, Mike, for a discussion of Blackwater, but it was, you know, fairly universally considered a pretty epic uh, episode of, of of the series, very action-packed, very uh, dynamic, and this this was uh, going to be some, a difficult episode for the finale to follow up. Uh, it's been, I'm curious what, uh, how, well, I'll start with you, Mike, first of all, if you want to give us a brief, you know... 30 seconds on what you thought about Blackwater and then also how you feel this episode functioned both as a follow-up to that and as a conclusion of the season. Um, well, as for the Blackwater episode, I thought it was, you know, a lot of fun and everything. Um, I think I, I was a little disappointed in the scope uh, just because anybody who reads the books knows what the scale of the battle is. And it did feel a little bit like the entire thing took place on at one gate. Um, but, I mean, that being said, it was it was... A fun episode. Um, they did uh, eliminate all of the stuff about the naval battle, um, which I, I, I kind of thought they would. And to be honest, the whole bridge of boats thing that anybody that's read the book knows about, I think might actually look a little bit silly. In, uh, that was, was exactly what we decided last week, by the well, way. Well, that's exactly what you decided, and you're probably right. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, the, in the book, there's this sort of huge you know, an 800-page secret as to what Tyrion's building, and it turns out he's building a giant chain. Anyway, none of that was necessary. Um, although, like I said, I, I was I was a tiny bit disappointed in the scope and scale of the battle represented, but, I mean, they can't do much more, I think, with even their budget. Um, this episode for me was... Uh, it was It was a mixed bag. Again... If you haven't read the books, I would imagine, and from looking over Simon's review, I think Simon probably agrees. If you haven't read the books in this episode, what I imagine is just like a series of sort of plot payoffs. Um, if you have read the book and you know what those plot payoffs were, I find a lot of them are reached far more crudely. Uh, the Daenerys, the stuff in with Daenerys, regardless of all of our debates about Daenerys' acting, the plotting around her, I think, has been very just sort of haphazard this season. And I think they've summarized sort of two books into some weird choices that never happened. But um, overall, I thought it was a good episode, although a little maybe a little heavy on the expository stuff. Simon? Uh, yes, as you surmised, I, as, and as I have to mention every time we do a podcast, I have not read the books and therefore was not burdened by the things that you book readers are burdened by. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see, the unenlightened life is still superior. Um, it, it, I mean, for instance, I mean, people, book readers, you lot, were always hyping the House of the Undying, and after this episode aired, all the lip I was hearing from you know people who read the books were, oh, they didn't include this and that and that, and of course, having not read it, I wasn't burdened by that at all, and quite thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, the Daenerys sequence as much as I totally agree with you Mike the plotting for her has been uh, all over the map and they they probably just could have not included her more often Uh, that's the only way I can think of to to have improved it uh, not having read the books 
but I, I did like her. I, I basically liked every vision sequence in this uh, in this episode, whether it belonged to Daenerys or to uh, Stannis. Although, of course, we quite crucially do not see that vision. And uh, I don't know. I, I actually thought it was a little bit stronger than last week, if only because it was less single minded. And uh, those payoffs, not knowing what was coming, uh, were mostly. In fact, I would say just about all of them to be quite satisfying. Yeah, I think um, that seems to be a a relatively uh, common reaction that I'm finding amongst non non book readers. At least the, the the particularly reaction to Danny and and that sequence. Um, and and because I'm with I'm with Mike somewhat on that. When I was watching it, I was of two minds. I could see how the scenes were incredibly effective, but the I, I kept waiting for more. I kept hoping that they were they would, for example, show the undying in the house of the undying. They make it seem like <laughs> that whole organization is this one dude. Like yeah. he owns this, this all of this, and some I, I, again, if you haven't read the books, and even if you have, all of this, like this one guy from the House of Undying, kills everyone in Quarth, steals dragons, and then tries to tie her up. Like I don't know, it all seems so like compared to the two thousand pages of plotting he put in the books, it seems weirdly slapped together. Although to be fair, he's one guy who can become a bunch of guys yeah, yeah. that's not like conservatory i i enjoyed that element to the realization of the character actually i thought it was very effective but uh, i do i mean i hadn't even really thought about that michael but you're absolutely right it does we never see anyone else in that building or as part of that organization which is a little strange when they're talking about the sorcerers of, of karth um but even aside from that I, I kept waiting you know normally maybe it's just uh my own, you know, foolish expectations, or whatever narrative uh, expectations. I was waiting for a third, because usually these things come in threes. So she's tempted by the Iron Throne. She's tempted by Caldrogo, and then that's the end. I was waiting for yeah, a third. Actually, that occurred to me as well. It was a little weird that she had two temptations. Even if they just had her first tempted by riches, just a room full of gold and. You know, which would have been pretty easy to do. And then the throne and then Caldrogo. But I will say uh, that that's a change from the books that I absolutely loved. It was great to bring back uh, Jason Momoa as Caldrogo. I think uh, a lot of what made Danny's storyline so compelling last year was that relationship. And, and I, you could see just how well those two played off of each other in just that moment. And... I mean, I know you're not the biggest Amelia Clark fan, uh, Mike, but I thought she was fantastic in that that scene, and I look forward to hopefully where they're going next year because that that is I think that is one of the flaws of the season, um, and hopefully that's a lesson they will learn from Blackwater. But just you know, the the need to drop in on every character every week I think is only going to become more of an issue moving forward. Well, I don't even think it's going to be possible eventually. There's, by the end of next season, even, there'll be so many characters. My one worry is that this is going to lead to the summary of too many plot elements that add character depth rather than exposition, because they're going to have to always choose exposition. And 
Well, I don't. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. No, I, I don't mean like in every single decision, but where there's a, where there's a a time constraint, exposition is always going to have to win out over character development, simply because of the volume of exposition that's required even to carry the basic story. So I just worry how much they can do. Some of the decisions this season made me a little bit more worried about that. Um, but uh, yeah, like the. <laughs> What's interesting, too, is that the Danny sequence in the book has some interesting exposition about the history of the lands, like uh, all the stuff with Rhaegar and stuff like that, her visions. This eliminates all of that in favor of a sort of like supervillain scene where a guy ties a woman up and then he gets killed. Yeah, it seemed too easy. Very easy. And like this was his plan to tie her up. Like it's just... That's just weird. Like, this is an entire... Again, he apparently killed every every important person in Quarth. I'm going to keep saying Quarth. No, 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 no. It's, it's always going to be Quarth. <laughs> but let, let's, let's move on from the, the House of the Undying, though. Let's talk about... Uh, let, you know, let's just get this out of the way as well, because I have a feeling I already know what you're going to say. What did you think, uh, Michael, of Jon Snow and Above the Wall? <laughs> Uh, well, it was terrible. What? What do you want from me? Like, <laughs> okay, so it's awful. Out of the, that's out of the the Lord, you can't tell me that the Lord of Bones isn't a disappointment to you. That's like that's like not. a guy that plays bass for like a grunge core band, and once in a he, while he wears a parka with some bones on it. No, he's he's not a disappointment for me at all. Um, but let's talk about that fabulous end sequence. Uh, yeah, can yeah, can we do that? Um, because this was. When when I said I watched this episode before you did, Kate, and I sort of had a holy shit reaction to the last sequence, and then and you said to me, "Well, I don't know what in this episode, knowing what should happen, would inspire a holy shit moment." Actually, I, I did have a guess. I thought it was going to be the House of the Undying, and then they didn't do it. So. Right? Yeah, but no. Yeah. But what the holy shit was? Okay, so we have a zombie horse with a terrifying dude on it with an ice sword. And it doesn't look ridiculous. See, I I kind of thought it did. Oh, I thought it kind of I thought it kind of did look a little bit, a little bit worse than Diablo three, which I'm currently playing. Like, uh, it didn't quite sell me. I don't know. I thought the I thought everything with the White Walker looked awesome. The White Walker itself, eh, wait, wait, I don't wait. know. Everything with the White Oh, everything outside of the White Walker, you mean? Yeah, I loved the zombie that, horse. Oh, I love okay. all the effects on the zombies. They all looked amazing, like <clears throat> incredible, fantastic. But the White Walker itself, I just the just the design choice and the character. I don't know. I thought it looked a little silly and a little too CG. That creeped me out. Now, yeah, I thought it was effective. Now we have I've seen a lot of talk online of people speculating that it's that the the design of the the face and the bone structure and the hair was reminiscent of Benjen Stark. Uh, there's nothing I've read in the books that would make that speculation be a spoiler. I think so. Benjen Stark is a character called Cold Hands that you won't meet for many seasons. Um, yeah, <laughs> people disagree about that. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Um, there's lots of speculation on that too. But uh, do you think that that was an intentional parallel? Because I mean, I, the 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 choice in his his beard, for example, and it, it seemed really it's pretty much the exact same shape. I was too busy being creeped out by the eyes, honestly, <laughs> to notice any I, similarities. I'd be disappointed if they 
did anything that crude, to be honest. Like, that's a good example of what I mean. Mm. Like you said, I haven't read a word in the book that would even lead me to speculate that that's or that any individual White Walker has even been identified as anything like. Mm -hmm. um, So I don't know. I hope I hope for the sake of the whatever delicacy delicacy whatever whatever degree of 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 delicate plotting he's put in the book that that's not something they're doing and it's just a coincidence that didn't yeah. occur to me when i saw it either oh okay and and by the way um th this is something that made me feel a bit stupid because i i read somewhere saying so, someone saying i don't know if book readers would pick up on the subtext involved in the in the john snow corn fight and uh needless to say i did not so what am i missing here Oh, yeah, the Quarren, half hand. Yes, um, in the books, I you know, actually, I don't think we should say, because I think it, it's a spoiler. Oh, okay, well. I'll... I don't think I it think... is. I think it's obvious. Well, well, he's sort I, of not. Well, it's, he... uh, no, 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 it's obvious to us. But they... <laughs> no, but he indicates it in the last episode. No, no, no. He talks about it. He tells them yeah, what to do. Not... We don't okay. know if he's figured it out yet. I, I do think that's actually... Uh, so that was something I was thinking when I was watching uh, this episode. In fact, there's more information about um, John's motivation in his actions, uh, in his fight with, with the half hand uh, given in the book that I think is intentionally left out. And I don't know if it's left out because it's supposed to be read as subtext that you're supposed to already know about, or if, if it's intentionally left out. So to, to make the journey of John murkier, over the next season so to see if they're going to develop that or if they're going to you know if if it's going to be something that we find out quickly you know i i'm, I'm what do you th what do you think mike you you seem to think that non-book readers should know what i'm trying to speak very vaguely about i think that if you aren't as like you know addled by whatever late nights in movie land and grain alcohol like simon that you'd already have picked up on it but i'm sorry <laughs> I'm surprised that we're even, to be honest, I thought it was obvious. Maybe you're right. Maybe I just think it's obvious. Because, because you read the books, you dummy. I'm so much smarter than, than Simon is. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe, like you said, maybe I just read the books and assume. Part of what it is, too, is that I, I, I did find myself this season in a lot of cases where I realized that they were simplifying something to a greater degree than the book represented it. I kind of stopped paying attention a little bit sometimes as to how they were plotting these things because I often found it to be a little haphazard or a little lazy. So it's possible that I remember this as more overtly than it was in the last episode. But anyway. Yeah, it, it wasn't very overt in the last. There was one line of dialogue, I, but. I think it's obvious. He's and a by robot. The, and by and the last episode, you obviously mean the previous. Previous. That. Because the previous episode, the one where he says, "The one where he says, I'm a robot. Stab me." Right. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about uh, something let, else. Let, let's talk about something. Let's talk about. Uh, let's go to Brienne. That was Being awesome. Badass. Awesome. That, that was, was awesome. so good. Um, and I, I, again, I would watch an entire show of just J Jamie and Brienne's comedy routine. Yeah. Of him just saying horrible things and her just not killing him. In in her review uh, or recap for this episode, Mo Ryan from the Huffington Post uh, compared Brienne to Omar from The Wire, and I thought that was pretty spot on in in her episode in in this episode at least. Uh, it was so much fun, and I, I really enjoyed that that they're keeping the 
the ambiguity of the situation in the show. They're not just making the Starks the good guys, the Lannisters the bad guys. They're you know, and Jamie, in like Jamie says, he you know he accuses or, or describes Brienne as working for the Starks, um, and I like that they are keeping it just as complicated as the book. I agree. Um, I also like. Uh, I thought. <clears throat> I thought that scene was really good top to bottom. I thought all three guys that were hired for that small part were very good actors. Like, it didn't take me out of any of the moment. There was no shitty accents or anything like that. Um, and I really liked the way they choreographed the scene, like, with the blocking in general. And when you read the book, the thing that, in general, the thing that Game of Thrones and Song of Fire and Ice, which is so terrible, I try to avoid saying it all the time, Ice um, and fire rolls off I, even Whatever. Oh, it's so awful. Don't say it. <laughs> um, Game of Thrones, much better title. Um, I think what separates it from other fantasy stuff is that, you know, the degree of realism and, and consequence and all the actions and the combat in general, when you think about it from reading the books, is very, you know, brutal and heavy and brief and so consequence heavy like nobody gets in a fight with a sword and isn't maimed horrifically or killed um so i really liked that this scene was just you know this is a a really huge well-trained person wearing armor and as a result is almost essentially invincible um if she's if she's good at it and everything is so brief and so unglamorous Mm um i just thought it was great it was uh, well everything is brief except for the last guy yes except and that's equally unglamorous uh but the her two fight scenes this season were my favorite fight scenes all season yeah that's that's a great sequence uh to me uh almost as good if 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 we're allowed to move on yeah i i I loved i mean both of theon's sort of big sequences back to back were great but boy that speech and Mm -hmm. and you and you know, I had the sneak. I had a pretty clear suspicion of what was about to happen, but it was still. It, it was very satisfying when it played out exactly as I was hoping it would. Yeah, that was fabulous and so well played by all involved. I mean, you, I think Alfie Allen is fantastic in that scene. He's got the full on crazy eyes going. Yeah, uh, and and just the underplaying of the the situation immediately after was fabulous. Although I, I have to say, it was quite. It was also quite effectively shocking when Lewin gets killed or, you know, mortally wounded almost immediately afterwards. Like, yeah, you don't get to laugh for more than five seconds, people. Yeah, I, I thought I, I thought what something was interesting, too, for the, the book people. And I suspected it was going to happen is um, in, in I don't know if this has been mentioned, Simon, but in the book, uh, Tyrion is injured far more horrifically. Like he loses half his nose and a yeah, large we, we section of his this, fist. Yes. Yeah, I, I think a lot of those decisions were just made because they didn't want to do that kind of makeup constantly. Um, yeah, CG. CG, and it's also it's hard to empathize with a character who's missing half his nose and stuff like that. Like you just don't want to hear that guy talk in close up. You're just a horrible person, aren't you, Mike? I'm a pretty awful person, but not because of that. Yeah, I thought it was uh, very well handled, the death of Meister Lewin. And you know, just uh, last week, I was commenting about how the the body count of people that we know and care about this season has been very low. Um, so I think ending or having such a significant moment and goodbye in this episode, uh, I think, was important and continued the 
the the reality and the severity of the situation that 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 Bran and Rickon are in. Yeah. Um, well, and I love it, it. Would be such a it would be such a stupid, not appropriate for the show move that they almost do, and that you feel like they're going to do where. Lewin is, you know, he's at the meadow in front of the pond or whatever, and it's very picturesque. And you, it kind of seems like he's going to say goodbye, kids, and then slip away cl- mm-hmm. quietly. But no, there is nothing fun about bleeding out. And he has mm-hmm. to get Asha to just, could you just quickly kill Osha. me? And then, sorry, Osha, just quickly kill me and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Which made yeah, way yeah. more sense. That's a good point, kid. I hadn't thought that there's, uh, there has been quite a, a low body count of central characters this season. Um, that is definitely going to change. Compared to that, let's go to a much happier scene. I thought they did a, a, a nice job with the, the wedding of Rob and Talisa. I thought it was nicely underplayed. I like that. I like the choice to have their wedding scene after the, the lovely scene we get with Tyrion and Shay, where we find out that I am yours and you are mine, which is something they've been saying to each other, are wedding vows in this culture. I thought was such a nice touch. And, and so while I may have issues with, you know, informa- you know, how they've chosen to bring the couple together, or the circumstances under which they've chosen to bring the couple together um, and for Kat to release Jamie, uh, I think that that was a really beautiful scene. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much touching romance in this episode, uh, especially with Joffrey and Marjorie. That's just heartwarming. They're just a couple made for calculation, aren't they? <laughs> and can, can I just mention, yes, all, all the stuff you mentioned is, is nice, Kate. But to me, the, the, the hardest to watch moment of the, of the whole episode is the like literally two and a half seconds of happiness that Sansa has when she thinks oh. she's out of the woods. Yeah. And then has to immediately turn on a dime when that clearly turns out not to be the case. Yeah. Which was yeah. really, really nicely done. Sophie Turner continues to impress. Kate, uh, uh, last week, did you guys discuss the the major omission from the Blackwater in terms of uh, uh, the 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 mister the the mystery rider that that comes to save the battle? I guess they're just not doing oh, they, that. Oh. Yeah, they just but they had to be Loris instead, and then that works. So they're just not doing the whole Ghost of Renly thing. Yeah, they're yeah they're not doing that. That's fine. That never went anywhere in the books yeah, anyway. It, it, it didn't. Are you are you guys serious? Was it really the ghost of Renly? No, 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 no. They just put somebody in Renly's armor so that the people will all freak out. Yeah, and then for two like literally two thousand pages or something, take two books. They sort of tease at that being relevant, and then they just stop talking about it. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. it's maybe it'll be in book twenty. Yeah, we'll see. So I'll, I'll yeah we talked about that a little bit last week. So I'll just cut this out because it doesn't pertain to this episode but yeah that was you know uh when you talk about uh marjorie it's so great to see her back and i i love that actress so much so i'm looking forward to next season um and just the dynamics at, at king's landing have gotten so interesting i think i mean i'm really looking forward we've seen uh Tyrion and what he uh, is capable of when he has some control. I think next season we're going to see a far more desperate Tyrion. But combining that with Littlefinger's back at court, Varys uh, showing as turning up as one of the more noble characters at this point, I think we can say, which well, is interesting. Apparently, I mean, I still don't trust the guy. He doesn't have a dick. 
<laughs> and then and then comparing that with you know the with Sansa and Marjorie, and we're gonna meet Marjorie's grandma, who is awesome next year, uh, as as well as Cersei. I mean, there's there's a lot happening at King's Landing. Yeah, it is getting it's getting complicated. Although I did I I liked the fact that for the first time this episode, Joffrey sounded kind of kingly after the battle for like a couple of minutes before, of course, he you know brings in Tywin. Mm-hmm. to become hand and at that point we can just assume that he's going to handle all the major decisions mm. one of the big surprises this week uh for me was i loved the scene with stannis and melisandre and they they might have won me back over to that performance and that actress because i thought that scene was very well handled i'm i'm curious uh what did you guys think Cause i know particularly uh uh mike you weren't a big fan as i recall no, nah, I'm still not. That scene didn't. I don't know. I, I find that performance just too melodramatic for me. Um, I, I think Stannis is a good choice for the role. I think he's always, at, at the very least, always seems like who I pictured from the book and everything. Um, but the Melisandre stuff is just too, like I said, I can't find a better word than melodramatic. It's just too melodramatic for me. I don't know. I guess I still have, I'm sort of biased. I still have a lingering soft spot for Carice Van Houten from Black Book, uh, which again, I, I have to keep saying it. If you haven't seen Paul Verhoeven's Black Book, go rent it. She's fantastic in it. Um, so I, I know she's capable of so much more than she's, especially than she's being given to do on the show. I mean, she ha- A, she hasn't had, she's had remarkably little screen time for a character that's had seemingly at first such a pivotal role. But also, I, I agree her her material's been definitely on the, on the melodramatic side. That being said, I, I love the fact that there's such ambiguity in that sequence in terms of what is the nature of this vision that Stannis has. You know, how much credence can really be put into it? Uh, is it just so, sort of a, a conjuration that has no connection to reality? And does it contradict the vision that Daenerys has? Because, you know, conceivably it may not or conceivably and, and and anyway this is that's what i spent most of the episode thinking about because you know i haven't read the book so i have no answers to these things and i guess probably nobody else has either because i don't think the books are even that far along but uh, of course i could be wrong but anyway that that's what that was what i found interesting about the sequence well and the last uh last part of the episode that we have to talk about is the titular section uh aria and jack and hagar and bella margolis uh, so, uh, I mean, I think Maisie Williams has been one of the, and, and Arya, maybe even perhaps more than, as much as I enjoy the actress, and I think she's done a great job. I think it's, you know, it's when you have a good actress with that role, it, they're going to be one of the highlights of a show like this, just because she's such a fabulous character. Um, but Arya, especially in her scenes with Jack and Hagar and her scenes with Tywin as well, has been one of the, the strengths of this season for me. And I, and as much as I did enjoy this scene, it was sort of a bit of a, a anticlimax for me. As a book reader, you mean? No, I just mean in general. And maybe it has to do with its placement in the episode. I think with, you know, as far as your list of cliffhangers go. Yeah, it's, is, it's, it's uh, a pretty mild let, call me, get, you know, call me up on the Ghostbusters phone at some point is maybe not as good a cliffhanger as some of the others. Maybe if the scene, the exact same scene had just happened a little earlier in the episode, I would have not felt like it was as much of a letdown. I guess that's 
that's all they had to do left of the character, though. I mean, they, they, they. <clears throat> we've discussed throughout the season how they, they've made a, an occasionally awkward attempt to have all plots run parallel to each other, um, which is just so unnecessary. And I hope they stop it. But yeah, I mean, they could have just ended this with Arya last episode and not have Arya in this episode. But I think they were determined to have sort of a send off for everyone. Yeah. Um, and th- that that to me was the ultimate pattern of the episode, and I think sort of the downfall of. Yeah. I mean, when I say downfall, I mean it was still a, a tremendously entertaining season of television. It feels mm-hmm. like we jumped around to check in with everyone and gave them all their like end of season. It, it felt so end of season. You know what I mean? Like they literally we came to everyone and we tied up their plot line a little bit. Right. And I, I have to say, Mike, I, I know you have no respect for Spartacus Vengeance, but. Uh, something a lesson that Game of you Thrones have, you have respect for Spartacus. I, I do, and and a lesson that there is a, a major lesson that Game of Thrones could pick up from Spartacus, which is um, there is absolutely nothing wrong with having an episode in the middle of your season or even early in your season that feels momentous enough to be a season finale. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think I think too much of that show relies on the quality of its ab work. So. I imagine that was an episode where the abs were particularly awesome and rocking. I I I I don't think you're given enough respect, but I'll leave it there. Uh, that's you know, I I need to uh, catch up with with Spartacus so I can weigh in on on this uh, maybe next year. But uh, let's talk about the the season as a whole. I know we haven't been particularly fond of the pacing for for Danny, but what about for, oh, and you know, we didn't mention, uh, fabulous to see uh, Zaro and uh, Drea locked up in that vault, as far as I'm concerned. That was great, yeah. Yeah, um, but what have we thought about the pacing for the rest of the storylines, and, and what this season as a whole? Because I, I think I'm, I, I've enjoyed season two, I think I, I like it better than season one as a whole, but I, I know, Simon, you're, you prefer season one. Uh, Mike, where are you at with that? Oh, I definitely preferred season one. Um, season one, I had very, very few complaints with at all, um, to the point where the things that I didn't like sort of stood out much glar- more glaringly. This season, definitely, I, I don't know, like I've said many times, I feel like the level of maturity dipped a little bit occasionally. Um, I feel like there were a, more silly performances than there are usually. Um, it felt a little less weighty to me. Um. It is possible that, like I said, my extreme dislike of everything that's been going on in Quarth um, is just may, gives the episodes whole sections where I don't pay attention. Um, but I thought the pacing was good for most of the stuff. Like we've mentioned, I, I think it is a little bit awkward that they tried to make all the storylines run parallel. I think that's the biggest problem with the season. But... Um, no, it's really good. I think we're in a really good position for season three. I hope that they're prepared to spend more and more money. Yeah. Well, hopefully <clears throat> they'll find more effective ways to do things more cheaply rather than have to shovel more money at it. Um, well, it's, that it's seems also, like a more it's a, workable solution. It's also it's a massive hit for HBO. Yes. And so, I mean, it's they're, they're definitely their biggest hit right now. So I feel like that'll probably lead them to be more willing to spend money on it and i mean they, this is this is the kind of show that people subscribe to hbo just to get so i think it i mean because we there are several times over the course of the season where we were commenting 
on how it looked like they were really strapped for budget and scenes were detract it detracted from some of the scenes um and the particularly when they're walking around and or all all of these sequences are happening in these very small rooms and there's nobody walking around in the background of any of the town scenes and things like that um so i'm i'm hopeful that seeing as it has only grown in audience uh, in, in viewership that that they'll be more willing to spend a, a little money on it uh, I or I shouldn't say a little. It's already a massively expensive but, uh, show. But, but a little also, more money. But also keep in mind, you know, they've got ten hours of material to shoot a year. They they can only get so elaborate. Well, that's and there's a there's a I don't know a max out budget where after say a hundred and twenty million or whatever, it doesn't make sense to spend more money on the show. You can't make that back reasonably with the kind of margins they expect. But I think Simon's right. I think probably. The good news is that CG gets cheaper every year and it actually gets better and cheaper at the same time for the most part. Um, so things like the dragons will only get better. I would imagine that they're amassing quite a collection of costumes and stuff like that. So, And by the though, time the show ends in 2030, there's mm-hmm. gonna, you're not even going to be calling it CGI anymore. It'll be something else. No, well, the, the Japanese are building dragons right now, so we'll Excellent. just use theirs. Um, I do want to say a few words about why I think the second season is more successful than the first. Um, Cause I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that you guys are both, I guess I'm not surprised Mike, Mike that you're a b- bigger fan of the first season seeing as the, I know the changes from the books were more of an issue for you. Um, but uh, then they were for me, but for, for me, while I, I think the the journey of Ned Stark in the first season is incredibly compelling. If I just look at the list of characters um, that are in the show, I found Arya's story this season far more interesting. Sansa's far more interesting. Uh, Tyrion, far more interesting. Tywin, far more interesting. Jaime, like going down the list, every single character, I thought their performances, their material... And uh, their stories were just far more engaging, more interesting, more nuanced over the course of the season. So, uh, except for Danny, she's uh, the big exception for me. I think it's it's entirely plausible that individual parts, a lot of them, were more effective this season. I just think the ex- I, I hate to say this in a way that sounds degrading because I you know co-host a TV podcast, but the pacing <laughs> and the execution was strangely more TV like. This I season, uh, despite the increase in budget and scope and number of characters, uh, and I'm I'm hoping they take more chances uh, with sort of limiting their scope at the right time and expanding it at the right time uh, in ways that suit sort of the emotional beats of where they're headed in a, in, a, in a less contrived way. And uh, I'm, I, it, but you know, and I and I also I, I I felt that so much of what we're seeing feels like prelude to stuff that's coming which is something that I didn't feel as much with season one, where it, it, it came to such a clear climax and had such a beautifully, uh, beautifully pronounced shape. This, this to me felt like, Hey, next season is going to be awesome. A lot of the time. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so I guess we should wrap it up unless you guys have any final thoughts. I think I said them already. Join us next year. Yep. We're going to take the, uh, the off season off. 
Uh, so the the podcast won't will won't continue during the hiatus, but we will be back next year in theory, unless I guess all of our lives explode uh, to to talk more Game of Thrones. So uh, thank you so much for listening. You can also find Simon and I on our TV podcast that comes out every Tuesday at Sound on Site called The Televerse. Um, I'm at, on Twitter at The Televerse. Simon, you are. I'm at Sucker Howell. And Mike, you are occasionally writing for Sound on Site? Yes, and definitely not on Twitter. And definitely not on Twitter. So don't try to find him. <laughs> but uh, again, thank you all for listening. Um, please drop us a line if you're uh, or post a comment at the website about your thoughts on the finale and the season as a whole. And we will see you next year. And before we go, I will mention that we uh, introed with a floppy disk version of the uh, the the Game of Thrones theme song, and we are going to take it out with. Oh, let's go with Blood Red Shoes. Seems appropriate for the for the wintry closing theme of the episode.